Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jackson trying to escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. And with 117 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the Hayes in the Barn. Oh my God! I wish you guys could. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see what we're doing. We're just a bunch of <laughs> clowns in here. <laughs> How much fun is that? All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Monday, October fourth, ten four. Roger that, Ravens. Get the win out in Denver. They are going to go to 3-1 and one after a 23-7 victory over the Denver Broncos. Spenny unable to hop on the show uh, tonight with me, Jake. So I'm joined by, uh, it's actually funny because Rob Lowe is not going to be on the show, but we do have uh, a form of Rob Lowe here with Kyle P. Barber wearing an NFL shirt, a branded NFL shirt with the shield on it and everything, if you're watching on YouTube. You know, I'm just out here to uh, to rep the brand. I work for the Baltimore Ravens now. You know, I work in the NFL, so might as well sport the NFL logo and uh, you know act like I'm uh, act like I've been here before and just you know be solid in my uh, my attire. Is so? Is that acting like you've been there before? That kind of to me, do it wearing an NFL shirt on an NFL podcast. That's almost like wearing the the shirt of the band to the concert. I wore the shirt to the band at the concert. I think that's ridiculous that you're not supposed to do that. I think that's ridiculous. I wear you wear your jersey to the football game. Why can't you wear the t-shirt of the band that you're going to see? I think that makes sense. I don't see the issue with that. Oh, Maybe that, I'm that makes uh, a lot of sense that that's your take on that. I mean, you wear your team's jersey when you're a fan and you go to the game, correct? I get yeah. I I, I guess. I just think that uh I don't not know. an I guess, it's a yes. It's a yes. Sure. You do wear your shirt. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm out here repping the brand. All right, leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> well, how's everything else going, bud? Everything else is going pretty well. Uh, work is going solid, and uh, we're having a fun time over at Baltimore Beatdown, of course, between the podcast, between the article content, the social media. It's been a, it's been a great time, and uh, it's been a fun season. It's been an exciting season, that's for sure. It has, and with the Ravens doing well uh, out the gate after, I, I wouldn't say people weren't expecting it, but after a very dour, sort of uh, difficult 
late July, August period, even into September with some of the injuries. The fact that they're sitting at three and one now is, uh, I don't know if I'd say miraculous, but I certainly wouldn't have bet on that. Even when they were at full strength, I had them starting off the year two and two. So to walk out of this opening four game stretch at three and one, one of those victories over the Chiefs, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish on this team right now, man. I don't know how, you, I don't know how you're feeling, but uh, that's just kind of where I'm at. I'm confident in them because they keep doing it. You know, it feels like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop, and you're waiting for this team to finally be succumbing to their injuries and this grinded out style that we're not accustomed to with in the Lamar Jackson era. But overall, the Ravens have found ways to win regardless of who's blocking at left tackle, who is covering uh, the number two receiver, regardless of whatever this, this team finds ways to win. And I think that's a really big thing in the NFL, having resiliency and, and redemption is in resolve, you know, just the three R's right there. It's important for any NFL club. And, and that's a big reason as to why they're three and one, regardless of miracles, uh, 66 yard field goals and going blow for blow with the Kansas city chiefs. Overall, the Ravens are three and one, and that's not by accident. And people point to, Oh, they could easily be winless but they could easily be undefeated. I mean, a lot of teams go that way. A lot of games in the NFL are one score games. Not everything is a 40 to zero blowout shout out to the Texans on getting Molly whopped by the Buffalo bills. But you know, the Kansas city chiefs are easily winless and easily undefeated. Just the same, you know, if it wasn't for the Browns making uh, poor mistakes down the stretch in their week one contest, they would have been zero and three after after uh, the Chargers game. So, you know, it's it's something to take note of that this team is finding ways to win, and they're in the win column three games to one for a reason. Yeah, a little bit more of a. I was kind of thinking about this, and uh, I think maybe the uh, the way that I might put it is that it kind of feels like there may be more than the sum of their parts right now because they, they're duct taped together in a couple different spots. Along the offensive line, it's not looking great. Cornerback, uh, they obviously lost a big-time starter. Running back is an absolute mess right now, and they're really tinkering with that. Getting Le'Veon Bell active for the first time today on the season, uh, he looked okay in spots, and Latavius Murray I thought looked good in this game. So, you know, they're really piecing it together in certain spots. It's not always looking uh, looking great, but at 3-1, and one, you really can't argue with the results. So I'm... Uh, Definitely, definitely with you on that, but uh, it was an interesting game. It started out, uh, Ravens didn't look too great. They had a, a couple three and outs to start the game on offense. Uh, they started out solid on defense. They got a sack on Bridgewater with uh, Odafe Oe, who's looking really good as well. We should definitely give him a shout out. Um, and then uh, pretty much from there, Teddy Bridgewater can't do much else. He, he ends up getting hurt, has a concussion uh, at halftime, is replaced by Drew Locke, who just couldn't do anything. And Really, the Ravens' passing game is what carried their offense to the uh, to that twenty-three to seven victory. So uh, it's been interesting in the fact that the running game just really hasn't been there at all. Lamar's passing has kind of been the I think what what's made the difference for this offense and this team really. So they uh, they got there. They by hook and by crook they got to one hundred rushing yards, which uh, we did mention that we wanted to touch on. So we had Latavius Murray leading the way on the ground, eighteen for fifty-nine, a touchdown. Lamar was 7 for 28, Le'Veon Bell 4 for 11, Devontae Freeman 1 for 4. Uh, four of Lamar's yards uh, came at the end of the game. How, Kyle? With a 
you know, a great interception by Anthony Averett to give the Ravens the ball with two seconds remaining. And rather than go victory formation, the Ravens run what I assume was quarterback power and they run it off to the left side and <laughs> Lamar Jackson gains four on the ground to just eclipse the 100 yard rushing mark, which extends their rushing total as a team to 100 yards or more to, I believe, 42 games, tying the 74 to 77 Pittsburgh Steelers, the Franco Harris era of Pittsburgh Steelers play. And uh, they'll have a chance to break the tie now next week against the Indianapolis Colts. What an absolute call by John Harbaugh to care enough about that record that, you know, the game is won and they're going to run Lamar Jackson off to the left side and put a bulldozing group ahead of him and hope that he gets just enough yards for the record. I thought that was hilarious, cheeky, a little petty, and and exactly what I would want from my head coach. It's very, very Harbaugh. It's such a John Harbaugh move. I could think of maybe some other coaches in the league that would do this kind of thing. I think Bruce Arians certainly won. I'm, uh, if anyone's watching on YouTube and curious right now, I'm set up a little bit differently because I got my eyes on the TV because I do want to see this Sunday night football uh, uh, Patriots Bucks matchup. I, I could see some other coaches around the league doing it, but uh, certainly others would not. And it is very Harbaugh to not only know about this record, but care enough about it that he sends out his quarterback out there with, you know, two seconds left on the clock to run a, a power to the left. Kind of kind of put him in harm's way a little bit to uh, to gain those yards, but God damn it, they were going to do it, and they did it. 100 yards on the dot, so they keep their streak alive, and uh, it's funny, coming against the Steelers, and then they're going to have a chance to break it against the Colts, another team they have some shared history with. So, uh, yeah, we definitely did want to touch on that, and uh, I think there was a... A little bit of a little bit of a contingent of outrage on Twitter, uh, in particular, uh, from certain people that didn't love the idea of it. I think I saw Ryan Russillo, who I like, but he said like, "Oh, well, imagine how Harbaugh would react if another coach did that to him." It's like it, it wasn't disrespect to the Broncos at all. It was just them wanting to get the record, so they, you know, they gained four yards and they did it. We don't have to make a big deal out of it. It's really just funny more than anything, and it's very, like I said, very Harbaugh. So love that. I have two points here. The first one is. If they were stopped on that play, imagine like the backlash of of uh, like Broncos fans being like, "Ha, you couldn't even get the record. You tried. Like you got the win, but like we definitely took away that that rushing record from you guys, and that felt great." And uh, I think the the backlash would have been a little bit sweet to read about as well. You know, like coming at it from like a journalist angle, like asking John Harbaugh about the failed. You know last play to get the rushing record and stuff and to hear about the comments. I think that would have been really interesting. And uh, the second com- the second thing I wanted to touch on is Pete Carroll would have been that kind of a coach and watch him chewing gum and grinning on the sidelines. That's a guy that that would, would definitely go for something like this. You know, the game's in hand. The Ravens have won. It's all over. And there's, why not go for the record? That makes total sense. And Pete Carroll would have been a guy that would have done it and grinned while he did it. Rivera actually uh, did this in the 2015 NFC Championship game, or not this, something similar to this. Uh, Panthers just absolutely whipping the Cardinals shit, and they're up, to, I think, 48 uh, to something at a certain point. It's like fourth quarter, Cam Newton is still in the game. This is like when they were they went to the Super Bowl, and uh, Cam was, mm-hmm. had the MVP that year. They get up to 48, and uh, they go for two to get to 50 because they wanted the 50-burger. So I, I, I immediately kind of thought back to that. 
And like to me, it yeah, it's not an outrage inducing thing. It's just kind of like one of those one of those funny things. And like frankly, like it didn't even look like the Broncos really even tried to stop it. Maybe the Ravens were just that good. But they didn't really get a ton of pop in the run game today, and that looked like uh, maybe one of their more productive uh, plays. And uh, I enjoyed Lamar doing the little butt slide thing that he did against the Titans when they won the game. I thought it was uh, just a very entertaining way to end the game all around. So uh, glad we touched on that. Completely agree. Anything else from the game in particular? I know we, uh, we've we touched on OA a little bit. I did also want to give a shout-out to Hollywood Brown coming back big time in this game. Obviously, we all know he had the rough one last week with all the drops and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, contrary to when he's had some other rough performances, there wasn't this kind of mercurial nature around it. He seemed pretty positive. I tweeted about Ted Lasso, be a goldfish. That kind of seemed the uh, seemed to be the mindset he was taking into it. And he really broke this game open uh, with that long touchdown from uh, around midfield. I don't have the exact yardage in front of me, but uh, splits the two safeties uh, and diving catch. Probably one of the most impressive plays of his career to get them into this game. He has another catch and run later on. And uh, just a consistently good game overall for him. I think he led the way in receiving yards, four for 91. Yep. And, uh, yeah, big game for him. Big game for James Prochet. James Prochet yeah, Hive uh, is alive and well, 5 for 74 today. Yeah, excellent play and production from James Prochet. They had him at the postgame presser uh, because of his production. And, you know, the big names get the uh, the, the big players get the postgame interviews. And Prochet was able to get that interview today, along with Tyus Bowser, who I think we'll mention uh, later on in the show if we don't touch on that prior to the questions. But excellent game from James Prochet, good route running and excellent hands and, and knowledge on where to get the first downs because he was backed up uh, against the sideline and a defender after he caught the ball and needed to get about a yard, yard and a half, maybe even two, and just kind of bullied backwards, uh, leaning the shoulder and, and just trying to get that first down yardage and uh, extend the drive. And he did so on multiple occasions. Uh, somebody I kind of wanted to mention was Devin Duvernay, who, you know, gets a fair catch call at about the five-yard line, which is a poor decision by him. The Ravens are backed up. Their offense was struggling, and now you have to drive 95 yards to get into the end zone. And it was a poor decision. And later on, he gets a huge return, you know, runs down the field and uh, breaks loose for a big punt return. I believe it was 64 yards. No, excuse me, 42 yards on that play. And uh, comes back in with a trio of catches as well. Catches three balls for 31 yards. Uh, and helped extend some drives as well. Those guys made some plays. And with that, I want to shout out just Keith Martin and T. Williams, wide receiver uh, coach T. Martin and pass game specialist Keith Williams. Both have really shown uh, their mark on this team with the development of the wide receiving unit. Marquise Brown clearly being a part of that as well. You know, he had a strugglesome game, of course, but, you know, he went in, had some extra work with Keith Williams, is what he said, was catching a bunch of soccer balls and goes out and dives for a huge 49-yard touchdown. And that is the ultimate uh, play from from Hollywood. And moreover, that was the game-winning uh, touchdown, you know, the Broncos only scored seven points. That was the second score for the Ravens, and that put them up uh, 14 to seven. And ultimately, uh, the Ravens exit 23 to seven. Yeah. And um, yeah, great job by the the coaching staff in general. I, I think I tweeted before the game that if they got to three and one, it would be a huge credit to them just because of sort of the, the fly by night nature of this roster in some respects. And uh, I think uh, those two guys have gotten plenty of shout outs. I think they deserve to 
really get their, their due praise now because it's not just theoretical. We're actually seeing the results on the field. The soccer ball thing I think was funny. I was having a little fun with it. Uh, I think they mentioned on the broadcast that it's like a, a firing the fingertips type thing and kind of getting those involved to like really help them sort of uh, sort of acclimate uh, to a game situation. And I shit, I guess it's working. So shout out to them. And uh, lastly, I guess shout out to the defense. It feels like to me, they gave up the touchdown drive early on. It's like, okay, is it going to be another long game for them? But it felt like to me they hadn't put together a consistently good game. They had had good stretches, but after that touchdown, man, they were just pretty much completely locked down, whether it was Bridgewater who, you know, moved the ball fairly well or it was Locke. Uh, they just had a really, really damn good game. They looked probably the best they have all year, I think, um, and they looked consistent too. So shout out to them. Yeah, third down efficiency for the Broncos, only three for 14 on third down. Uh, just over uh, 100 rushing yards from the Broncos and uh, passing yardage didn't even eclipse 150 yards. They were at 148 passing yards total. So a complete shutdown after that first touchdown from the Denver Broncos. And even that play was just a little bit of a miscommunication, I believe, with Jimmy Smith and Brandon Stevens on the pick play, which a lot of us could see from the broadcast. But, you know, down on the field, it's it's tough for them to uh, get com- communicated well. And, and the fans were roaring, even though the Broncos were on offense. And uh, that stadium's loud. I've been to Mile High Stadium. It's uh, it's a lot of fun there. And and the, uh, the fans really get into it. Denver and Colorado as a whole love their football. So uh, seeing that uh, go on for the Ravens was uh, in the Broncos. That was a fun game to watch. And like you said, that, that was a real concerted effort from the Ravens defense. They cleaned up the tackling issues that a lot of us were talking about on the first few drives and uh, that Javonta Williams rush that went for about 31 yards. And Marlon Humphrey tweeted something that he was carried on like a backpack for 20 yards. And that's pretty embarrassing. Uh, but overall, the Ravens cleaned it up. Chuck Clark uh, lit a guy up and uh, never returned to the game. Um, a lot of physicality in this game on both sides for both the Broncos and Ravens regarding defense and hitting. And that was a fun football game. It kind of felt like a, an old school era football game where a lot of physicality and defense was at the forefront. Yeah, the defense really was hitting. And uh, that Chuck Clark hit was a uh... I think emblematic of the way Chuck Clark is playing this year. He's looked awesome. He looked really good today. Some issues from the linebackers, like it looked like Patrick Queen might have gotten benched at one point for Josh Bynes. He's really continues to kind of struggle this year. But uh, I think when the defense turned around, he turned around a little bit. He wound up getting back out there. So they they need more from the linebackers. The tackling has to be more consistent. But to your point, they did turn it around kind of mid-game and uh, really like in the second quarter. And from there, it kind of just wasn't an issue anymore. So uh yeah, a big shout out to them. And uh, anything else you wanted to touch on before we get into listener questions, bud? I'm ready to get into these listener questions. Uh, thank you all for sending them in so we have something to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. You can send them into at Podcast Beatdown if you're curious and are a first time listener. But uh, jumping right into them, Scott Yeager. Uh, what do you do when Bateman and Boykin are ready? Someone will have to stay down. It sounds kind of like they are ready. Uh, it sounds in particular like. Uh, Bateman is probably going to be ready to go. Like to me, like you bring up Bateman and if you have to leave one down, then you leave Boykin down. Like you, you, you know, you didn't draft Rashad Bateman for him to uh, kind of sit around in, in lieu of miles Boykin. So that's kind of would be my answer to that. And I think he will be making his debut next week on Monday night football versus the Colts. So. 
Yeah, I expect Rashad Bateman to be back pretty soon. He's been looking pretty pretty good from, you know, when he was posting social media vids of him just doing a little bit of jogging and and uh, we've seen some practice uh, plays from him jogging, running around, catching some footballs and and I've seen him out there as well. Uh, now it comes down to uh, how healthy he is when he gets on the field because uh, even Torrey Smith tweeted about it when uh, news broke that Rashad Bateman was back from injured reserve that you got to be patient with this kid. Like this is a groin injury. He had groin surgery for this. That's not a, that's, that's no joke. And uh, I think I've spoken on this before, but I'm a big hockey fan and uh Frequently, you know, goalies will suffer groin injuries because they're stretching and, and doing the splits for 60 minutes plus and, and lunging across the ice and everything. And, and just one wrong slip or move or blade, you know, skate getting stuck in the ice all of a sudden can, can injure a groin. And then your goaltender is dealing with a groin injury for the entirety of at least one season. If not, it's stretching into the next one. So just be patient with Rashad Bateman as he returns and because uh, he, he's in a very physical position that requires, you know, anything requires you growing. Anytime you move, anytime, any, you know, any muscle really activated feels like that. And um, a lot of that lateral movement uh, comes at the, the expense of uh, utilizing your groin muscles. So just be patient with that. But overall, yeah, you got to keep, you, you take Rashad Bateman to the field and either James Prochet or Devin Duvernay is going to have to take a back seat and Bateman's going to be on the field. Yeah. And I've made this point and I, I might've even gotten a little bit of backlash on this, that they don't even really need him, which is a good thing. Like mm-hmm. Marquise Brown is playing amazing. Sammy Watkins is playing really well. Um, James Prochet, like we touched on, stepped up today, and you've got uh, a good rotation there at tight end. So, like, as far as, like, your pass catchers go, you're more or less fine. Like, you you want him to be good, but the fact that he's kind of, I wouldn't say a luxury, but he's closer to a luxury than a necessity at this point. So that's going to be good for his development to be able to ease him in. I'm excited to see uh, what they get out of him on Monday night if he does wind up playing, as is the rumor. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, Bateman comes up. We'll see what happens with Boykin. Not really sure, but uh, that would be... That, uh, Skipjack, what do you chalk up the improvement in the passing game to? Uh, it hasn't been, like, weirdly, it hasn't been super consistent because we've seen a little bit of the uh, kind of weird, like, double-clutching stuff from Lamar, and he hasn't been perfect, but I would say, like, Lamar kind of seeing the deep shots a lot better than he did last year. Like, there's there was a little bit of a misconception that Hollywood Brown played really poorly at times last year, but a lot of the time, like, Lamar just wasn't hitting him. He was either being gun shy or he was overthrowing him. That happened a, a good amount of times. And this year, even when Hollywood is dropping it, like he did, did against Detroit, Lamar is hitting him deep. Like he hit, hits him deep against the Chiefs. Uh, he had the he hooked up with him for the touchdown against the Raiders. He hit him deep against Detroit, like or really should have hit him deep against Detroit three times. Hits him mm-hmm. deep in this game, and then uh, he's making plays after the catch in this game as well. So I think Lamar is kind of trusting it a little bit better um, as far as throwing deep. Um, I couldn't really 100% break down like what Roman is doing, but it feels like there's a little bit more nuance uh, with the passing game. And uh, the pass protections, like when it holds up, it holds up really well and they look really good. They have their issues along the offensive line, but uh, it seems like they're really stressing pass protection and it's working out pretty well. 
Yeah, uh, you heard it multiple times on the broadcast that Lamar Jackson drops back all day to throw, and you could just see he had a full pocket to throw around in, which was really impressive. On the topic of Marquise Brown, he is averaging, if, if he continues at this current pace, he'll be breaking over 1,300 yards receiving. He's had a touchdown in three of four games, and he should have had a touchdown or two against Detroit. Uh, that ultimately did not work out, but... I mean, this is a receiver that's not only expected to have, uh, you know, a thousand yards or anything, but he's expected to have 1,300 yards. That's incredible. And if, even if it was over a 16-game stretch instead of a 17-game stretch, he would still be averaging enough yardage right now over four games to have 1,304 yards. So he has been producing each and every game and and he's on fire to uh, be a thousand yard receiver for the Ravens uh heavy lobster 43 can we talk about James Prochet dude was a straight baller today uh he was and I I what I would specifically point out with him is that I like the fact that he's getting involved in different areas of the field I think my main concern with him I've, I've kind of had a weird relationship with Prochet where I actually liked him a lot as a prospect as like a late round guy they, they could get they wind up doing that, so I really liked him. And then I think fans kind of glommed onto his highlights at SMU a little bit, and I think they got a little bit too crazy with like, oh, this guy's going to be like this uh, starting caliber player. He's going to be, you know, this jump ball specialist. I just thought he was a little physically limited to be like a really productive NFL player. But um, I don't know. I thought he could have carved out some kind of role, and it seems like he's carving out a pretty, pretty good role. And uh, to that point, and he looked pretty freaking fast on that catch and run that he had today, like over the middle. He was getting involved on the uh, sort of the uh, perimeter as well. So he, it looks like he's sort of running the full route tree. He's making sideline grabs, and uh, he's just sort of doing it all. He looks like a complete player, a, uh, a pro, if you will. Yes, very much so. Like we had already mentioned, you know, five receptions for 74 yards, a 32-yard uh reception for his longest catch of the day that catch and run uh, excellent play by him and overall you know I've, I think we've already said everything about him he looks excellent and uh, he looks like a, a polished NFL wide receiver which is probably the best compliment you can give him absolutely uh, Zev Moses what do you think roaming should switch to in third and short situations without Gus we can't seem to convert on the ground or at least on inside runs uh, maybe more like options. It feels like they're not really doing a lot of options. It, it feels like every single time, I think Spencer has kind of made this point that they go inside inside zone out of the pistol every single time they're in third, third or fourth and short. They did it against the Raiders when they didn't convert that fourth down. They've had it happen a couple other times where they got stuffed. It happened a day. Maybe just kind of get out of that a little bit. Maybe get in the eye formation and get uh, Ricard involved and if that's a, a decoy and you want to pass it a little bit, I'd be fine with that. If you want to mix in some RPOs, I, I think they ran at least one RPO today. Uh, just kind of something to mix it up a little bit, just from this like pistol inside inside zone thing that we're seeing. I think uh, they've shown that they're kind of not really built to be able to convert those, unfortunately, with the offensive line built the way that it is and with Gus out. So uh, it's, it's time to mix it up there. I agree. Yeah, I think they see the strength of this offensive line as their guards and center because Bozeman has been really productive as a center for the Ravens so far, and they like what they've seen out of Kevin Zeitler. So they've been trying to use their best guys. You know, you, you give the ball to your best guy. You try to target your best guys, and those are on the offensive line at center and right guard. So they've been trying to 
uh, you know, run the ball through those players. Unfortunately, it just hasn't been as successful, and they're trying to figure out new ways, you would hope. Uh, but thus far, it's been that silly pistol run inside zone, inside rush uh, concept, and it's been a little bit aggravating uh, to <laughs> time and time again see line up and, and know what's coming as a fan. That's very concerning because if we know what's coming, the coaching staff for the opponents certainly know exactly what the play call is. Yeah, unfortunately, they're they're going to have to mix that up or start mixing that up. Uh, Stewart Shock, if that rushing streak was held by anyone other than the Steelers, does Harbaugh run that play? No, I think that's just a kind of a funny tie-in and uh, kind of a good, nice little middle finger to our friends up there northwest of us. Uh, I think he was, I think he was keyed in on that record, and he would have wanted to get it either way. Yeah, say like the the Seattle Seahawks or like the Ladanian Tomlinson like Chargers had that record uh, just spitballing random teams just because you know you're asking if it's a if it's any other team uh, that whether he'd go for it I think he still would I think Harbaugh as long as the game is won he's down about it you know if that game was uh, a one score affair if the Ravens were up by three or seven. Uh, they don't go for that, or even eight. I don't think they go for it. But with it being a two-score deficit, with that little of time left, I think uh, he, you know, he was comfortable with it. Because if all of a sudden they scoop up a, a fumble from Lamar Jackson and the ball, you know, lands in Von Miller's arms and he's sprinting to the end zone, and they're a PAT or a two-point conversion away from tying or winning the game, that ball definitely is not being ran. It's in victory formation. It, it all comes from the situation and the setting of the of the play, and that is the game was in hand. And uh, it doesn't matter whether or not the Steelers had it, even though it does give it a little bit more juice that, you know, this was uh, a, a Steelers record that he's attempting to fall. Uh, but, yeah, overall, it's definitely not because it's a Steelers record. It's because Harbaugh, I think, just wants a little bit more in the record books. And you can't blame a guy for wanting that. Absolutely not. Uh, Ravens burner. Do you think teams will start to play the Ravens more traditionally on defense instead of the make Lamar throw D? Uh, this is an interesting one, I think, because of, you know, the report out there about certain defensive coordinators calling Aaron Glenn, the uh, Detroit Lions uh, defensive coordinator, to ask about, like, how to stop the uh, the Ravens offense. And I think the joke that was kind of put out there was that, oh, just make Hollywood Brown drop the ball. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of you look at like you like look at what happened today. That's basically what it you know came down to. And it's it's not that simple, but like basically to me. Spencer has used the word flubber before. I think it more in regards to defense, but it's it's just about adapting to what they give you. Like they're you're getting you're seeing a lot of stacked boxes over these first couple of weeks. And uh, guess what? They went out. We we whined and bitched and moaned about it last year that they needed weapon weapons in the passing game. They went and got it. The pass protection is holding up, so they're they're built to throw the damn ball. And if they if their teams are going to stack the box and they're going to do that, if teams start to play a little bit more of a uh, traditional try to stop the pass and I think they're just going to find out a way to run like I think this is a pretty uh kind of an amoeba-esque offense in that way and uh I'm, I'm I'd be excited to see them respond to something like that and I think Jackson's rushing ability is something that hasn't even been really utilized that much this year so that's that's another wild card uh um element of the offense as well completely agree with that I think it's ridiculous that Aaron Glenn is getting phone calls about how to stop the Ravens because truly there was a blowout had Marquise Brown not caught, you know, dropped 14 or even 21 points uh, 
from the offense itself. And it, it, I think that that notion's silly. And even, you know, Mark Andrews could have hauled in a touchdown grab against the Lions as well that I think a lot of people are forgetting just because he got a little bit lost and tripped up in the play. But I think ultimately he should have caught it. But I understand that's a difficult play to make. Uh, but overall, I think that's silly. Um, yeah, keep stacking the box, and Lamar Jackson's going to continue to throw for 300 yards. Today was his second career game throwing for 300 yards or more. And and he went in and carved him up. He looked great as a drop back quarterback. You know, yes, he's a dual threat quarterback, the most lethal in the game. But if you're going to ask him to throw, if you're going to throw eight guys in the box, he's going to throw it to Devin Duvernay and James Prochet. If he's not going to Sammy Watkins, Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews and Mark Andrews had a hell of a game as well. Yeah, he did. He he really had a, uh, a nice game, especially like he kind of. I mentioned Hollywood Brown breaking the offense open. It kind of like kind of felt like Andrews was the the element that allowed them to start kind of turning the engine over a little bit with those uh those kind of teardrop catches that he was making on the Ravens' first scoring drive. I thought he looked very impressive too. Um, Jason Wilson, how impressed have you guys been with the offense's ability, speci- specifically Roman and Lamar, to be successful considering the constant shuffling at the tackle spots? Uh, Super impressed. I mean, like, especially like, it's not even just the tackle spots, like running backs, you know, there's a whole discussion about like running backs, not they don't matter or whatever. Like, I, I we don't have to get into that. But like, they lose no. their, their starting running backs, they lose, you know, Stanley at tackle and Villanueva's moving around, he gets hurt, Andre Smith comes in, the fact that they're able to be not only productive, but explosive in the passing game with that going on. You got to give uh, you got to give Roman a lot of credit first thing. You, you, you got to give uh, Lamar a lot of credit for not allowing his mechanics to break down because we've seen him have mechanical issues in worse circumstances or not as bad circumstances as this. And it feels like with pretty bad circumstances at the tackle spot, he's he's holding up pretty well so far. So shout out to them. Yeah, it's been excellent to see the Ravens adjust and adapt to their deficiencies. Uh, their tackles go out. Andre Smith is in at left tackle, which is far from ideal. And the Ravens kind of utilized a quick passing concepts. And, and you know, they kept stacking the box. They kept stacking the box against the Ravens. And he went out there and threw the ball and connected with uh, multiple receivers. I believe five-plus receivers on the day. And that... That's a testament to the Ravens knowing that they need to adjust and and get the ball tossed around and to make their defense, the Broncos defense, utilize all eleven men uh, for for play. You know they can't just uh, be lacking concern over somebody like Devin Duvernay or James Brochet. You know they have to cover him because Jackson's going to throw it to him. He's going to go through his progressions. He's going to go through his reads, and he's going to find the guy that's that's open, and he's going to connect with him. And we saw that today. Over 300 yards passing from Lamar. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with what I saw from him today. Absolutely. Uh, Stuart Schock follows up his earlier question with also – how nice was it to have a relatively stress-free end to a game this season? I thought uh, very nice, uh, just for my uh, cardiac health, for one thing, but uh, also nice in the sense that uh, you're talking about doing that on the road to a 3-0 and team. Walking out of there with a uh, effectively a, a three-score victory is, uh, I think it says a lot. So shout out to them for that. Um, annoying stat guy, if Villanueva is down for a few weeks, will we finally see Adrian Ely? And he put those in all caps. Uh, my guess would be, yeah, but it sounds like Villanueva is fine. Harbaugh's uh, comments after the presser said uh, nothing out of the ordinary. So I think we're going to continue to see AV as Stanley is reportedly working his way back. 
Yeah, I expect uh, Villanueva to return by next week, especially since, you know, they get a little extra break because it's on Monday night that they play the Colts, not Sunday in the morning or or even Thursday night football, which would have been horrible for uh, a schedule lineup there. But I, I'm not too concerned with Villanueva. I expect him to be back. Absolutely. Um, so we got a shout-out to James Prochet. We've kind of already t- touched on that, but uh, that, that was Seth. Cody says, okay, so we got another. So he says, if AV misses time, does Andre Smith really start at left tackle until Ronnie is back? Or could they look outside the organization, move McCarty to left tackle, and bring up Ely? I think we already touched on that. It sounds like Villanueva is going to be fine. Uh, Ryan, why do people still whine about Roman on this app when Lamar Jackson is throwing the ball like an absolute demon and Roman is helping him to make it happen? I think it's it just kind of a psychological thing where if your offense is like struggling at literally any point, your reaction naturally is going to be complain about it. And uh, if one of the potential targets is a player who you have an emotional attachment to and you love and who's giving you a lot of really fun moments, you well, you're probably not going to be too critical of him. You're going to be critical of the relatively faceless entity that is, uh, you know, it is responsible for his success in some ways, but uh, it's it, it goes hand in hand and. I don't know. I think uh, Roman probably is do a little bit of credit. Um, I was never one of these people that pretended to understand all this, you know, BS about passing concepts that people were complaining about to begin with. I don't know if I could, without really kind of breaking things down, give you a schematical reason why he's been uh, good or uh, better than people were expecting through these first four games. But uh, I think he is do a little bit of a shout out just for the fact that I think they're fairly talent poor along the offensive line right now, and he's making it work. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's a very nuanced response. Uh, overall, uh, Greg Roman's helped produce this offense into record-breaking territory, as we've spoken on. You know, they had the most rushing yards in NFL history in a single season as a team, and the there's a reason Lamar Jackson has won an, a, a unanimous MVP award. There's a reason why this team is one of the most winningest in the Lamar Jackson era, and that isn't just because of the players and player it's because of the offensive coordinator it's just uh, it's uh, it's hard to uh, criticize the players that are executing even when they're not executing because like you said there's a faceless nameless entity that you can't quantify always and you and there's a lot of information that's being withheld because you don't know what he's calling you don't know what the checks are you don't know what lamar is is and is not calling out as uh, audibling into and and I think that's challenging for us to quantify, as I said. And because of that, you just want to, you want to put blame somewhere. You like fans want to blame something when things are not working. And that's a very easy area to point because it's not a player. It's not somebody you, like you said, you have an emotional attachment to instead you see it as a specific person that you can, you can, point blame on and feel satisfaction in and saying if this wasn't this person if it was somebody else this would be operating much more efficiently because you just want to be more positive on the team and you want them to be better and and that's just the quick easy fix in a lot of people's minds it's also tough when you're a hypothetical super bowl contender as a fan to admit that you're talent poor at a certain spot on your roster and i think they were fans and maybe you know myself included were willing to admit that last year with the wide receiver position because that's something that you know has been going on with this franchise for the past 25 years but i right now like there there's they're just they're not 
they're not talented enough on the offensive line, I don't think. Uh, but they're they're scraping it together and they're making it work. But it just it feels like fans aren't going to be as quick to admit that to themselves as they are when you know you have like a, a drive stall out and it's like oh well Greg Roman it's like well I don't know and like <laughs> Spenny actually he had some sort of tweet about uh, somebody coming after him and like whining about Greg Roman it was literally right after the Andre Smith face mask wipes out the Mark Andrews touchdown that would have effectively ended the game and that was a good call mm-hmm. by Roman actually if you go back and watch the uh, the replay so it's uh it's it is a nuanced issue. It's kind of tough to really break down, but I don't know. I think it's a, a confluence of a lot of things and kind of an inability to admit that you're, you're not maybe talented enough in certain spots at times. Uh, that, that's probably plays into it. Uh, John Ernest, why does queen seem as if he's not there right now? I don't know exactly what he means by he doesn't seem like he's not there right now. I assume that he's, just not if he's enough. not on the field sometimes, I mean, it's because he's getting benched because he hasn't been the most productive linebacker this year. PFF had him graded at like a 30 overall at some points. I don't know if it's been multiple games or just overall his his season grade, but he hasn't been graded really well um, in his struggle in areas. He looked excellent in that week one game. He was flying all over the field. He's incredibly fast, but... Uh, I think Spencer talked about it on on Twitter today that he isn't attacking and engaging in blocks and attempting to shed them and break through them and and you know uh, execute on plays and and when that happens this this you're not going to be on the field for much because the Ravens want you to make plays they want you to execute on your assignments and he hasn't been doing that consistently enough to warrant uh, his participating in every snap. You know, yeah, and you can take the bad with the good sometimes, mm-hmm. especially with a young player. And we we got bad with good last year, or good with bad, I should say. Uh, it just in relation to how we're talking about this right now, because he made a lot of plays. He, you know, he had a decent amount of sacks. I think he had a touchdown against the Bengals. Like he had some really big games, but it just there was kind of a sense of like he's playing with his hair on fire a little bit. And he's trying a little bit too hard. And sometimes that leads to big plays. And sometimes that leads to him giving up big plays as we saw at times. And kind of feels like this year, we've seen a lot of the giving stuff up and not tackling, which you really can't do if you're not going to be making plays. And he has not made the plays thus far. So it's not good, man. Uh, it sucks. Um, he has plenty of time to turn around. He's young. Uh, we've made the Devin White comparison. Hopefully he can kind of have a similar renaissance at some point, but uh, it's not great right now. Um, Ben Gorniak, what players out there could replace Andre Smith on the free agent market? Uh, Regarding free agency, the Ravens only have $2.2 million in cap space, which is the, I believe, yes, fourth lowest or fourth fewest amount of dollars available to spend. So they don't have money to go out and, you know, find somebody on free agency, find somebody that's available. They just don't have it. It's they, they lack the money, they lack the spending and uh, it's going to be challenging for them to be able to find anybody as for like available guys. I don't really have anybody off the top of my head that I can consider or, uh, see them pursuing you know it's a thin position in the nfl for a reason because they're incredibly valuable and when you have a good one you keep them and when you don't have a good one and when there's a bunch of bad ones out there you don't want to sign them when you're talking about andre smith like taking meaningful snaps for you chances are there's probably not a lot of great options out there is how i would break that down Mm -hmm. um 
Adam Gardner. What's the biggest improvement in Lamar's passing game, mechanics, footwork? Love y'all. We love you too. Um, the biggest improvement in his passing game, he's he's throwing a really tight spiral these days. Like that was something that uh, he kind of struggled with a little bit. It's not always something that even really matters that much, but on something like a deep ball, for example, like the ball just looked so clean coming off his hand today, uh, putting that ball up there for Hollywood. He's also added, I feel like, a lot more nuance to some of his deep passes. Like there's more trajectory in certain spots. For example, Mark Andrews, that first big catch that he made, he's really dropping it in the bucket, like putting some trash and some arc on it and uh, mm-hmm. dropping it over the defender as opposed to just rifling it uh, at Andrews, which is something that younger quarterbacks can struggle with. I feel like he has struggled with that at times, uh, and uh, it hasn't been an issue for him this year at all. And in fact, he's kind of, I feel like, turned touch passing into a little bit of a strength for himself. Mainly the issue that he struggled with as far as mechanics goes or like narrowing out his base so that he can't, he really can't put as much velocity on throws at times when his legs are super close together. I feel like he's gotten a lot better, really starting like uh, two years ago, uh, the, the MVP season. He got a lot better uh, at sort of widening that base out, giving himself more drive on his passes, and uh, just kind of improving his velocity uh, with the ball coming off his hand. I think uh, that's something that he is a much more consistent part of his game now. So that's probably a big part of it. I think a lot of the improvements stem from his receiving group as well. You know, I think he had a lot of these traits going into last season, but when you don't have the structure surrounding you, it's really hard to build anything off of it. So having Marquise Brown healthy and and activated for every game, and and I know he didn't miss much, Mitch miss much time <laughs> miss much time last season um just overall you know he's running around and he's healthy and he looks 100 percent or as close to 100 percent as marquise brown can get he has sammy watkins and, and mark Andrews. you know we gush about these guys all the time but having those and the the concepts from passing game specialists and passing game coordinators i think has improved his ability but Overall, the most mechanical improvement, I would agree with you, is that spiral, which ultimately leads to better deep ball throws and the touch that he gets from it. Um, You see him step up in the pocket. He's been doing that for years. He's been able to navigate pockets and and find a good release angle and and operate functionally uh, and fluidly you know, time after time for years now. But it just feels like the receiving group is offering more... uh, separation for him to connect on these throws and and he's executing them fine uh d12 season uh you're gonna like this one is cook washed what why would sam cook be washed he had some great punts no they didn't all bounce his way but he still had a touchback in there and he had some really big punts i think that he played fine i think that you know this was a punting competition at one point with the Broncos punter. I think he racked up over 500 yards on punts. I'm going to pull it up right now just because that's a stat that you know I'm going to love. Uh, He averaged 49.1 yards on 10 punts. So he was at 491 yards with a long of 68. So no, I don't think that. And that's that's Martin. That's not Sam Cook. But no, Sam Cook is not washed. Get out of here with that talk. 
I, could, I, I had to tee up for that. I have forty-seven point no nine yard average. He had one inside the twenty. He had one touchback. You know, it's not like there was anything bad from his game. The Raven, you know, the Broncos scored seven points, and that certainly wasn't because he had a shanked punt. He had great holds on Justin Tucker's three field goals, with two of them being in forty-yard range territory. So I have no issue with Sam Cook. Actually, I had to tee up, so I'm glad you got your take out there, and uh, we can move on. Uh, Calvin, Owe is the best Ravens rookie pass rusher since blank. I mean, is it Terrell Suggs? Like, who else would it be, really? Peter Balwer. Maybe, yeah. Wait, but was Balwer? Balwer was before. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was Suggs. before Suggs. Yeah, so, so Suggs is definitely, like, the bar on that. Um, Suggs was rookie of the year, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so I don't think anybody – who else could you really go after in this? Not Courtney Upshaw, that's for sure. No, um, and they really didn't – they really haven't, like, for as much as they have pedigree at that position. The Dudon, fact that Suggs was no. there. Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith had a decent uh, first year. Let me pull up his stats to to compare. Yeah, he had, his like, six year, sacks on, like, a – He had five and a half – yeah, yeah, he had five and a half sacks in 15 games. I think Zadarius Smith is probably the guy. He had seven tackles for loss, seven quarterback hits, five and a half sacks. I think you probably have to give it up to Zadarius Smith. That's a pretty complimentary area to have. And, you know, Adafi Owe already has two sacks on the year uh, through four games. So he's he's right on pace to, uh, to get seven and a half. So – I think that's a pretty good marker there, and I like. Uh, I think that's a good comparison. Zayary Smith rookie year was really fun to watch, and uh, and that's a good compliment. Yeah, they like. Uh, they just never drafted an outside linebacker in the first round. I feel like, or at least not correct. Like it's pass. only been Terrell Suggs and Adafi Owe. Those are the only two edge rushers that they've drafted in the first. Oh, excuse me, and Peter Ballwear. Um, those are the only guys that they've drafted in the first round uh, for outside linebackers. Um, as far as like defensive players, of course they've they've gone all over the place. You know, with Haloti Nada, they've picked Dwan Edwards. That was second round. Uh, but yeah, overall they um, they 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 haven't drafted specific outside linebacking edge rushers in the first round. Absolutely, which is kind of kind of weird to think about because they do have you know good pedigree at that position. Uh, Orioles Haiku was the skinny post route, and he puts a he. Put the little dot graphic in there, but we don't have to like. Oh, the next gen graphic. Nice. Yeah, he says, uh, "Was the skinny post route from Hollywood a good way to counter Fangio's mofo defense that Spencer talked about in his article? AKA, does this prove that Roman isn't a complete idiot in the passing game like some people make him out to be? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think he is. And I think to our point, we we talked about the talent issues. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to get a guy like Hollywood Brown open when you have Sammy Watkins on the other side." And uh, I think this, I mean, this obviously was the perfect way to attack it. Um, and Hollywood, like he, it's interesting because he didn't do anything super technical. He didn't have to like stack a DB or anything like that. Or he didn't have to like create a ton of leverage. Basically, he just ran the the skinny post to his point. He put his foot in the ground in front of Justin Simmons and just ran behind them. And Lamar had all time to throw. So he, he hooked up with him there. And uh, I think it was uh, a really good call by Roman Mofo meaning uh, middle of the field open, not uh, the the dirty uh, terminology that I'm sure your mind was going to. 
Um, no, no. You want to know why my mind wasn't going there? Because I edited that article and I was gushing to Spencer about it. I was DMing him on Slack. I was like, man, I'm only like a paragraph or two into this and I'm loving this article. You know, I was, I was just cleaning up some grammar stuff, but he was crushing it. And I was really happy to read that one. Uh, get my, you know, I got the first read on it. You know, I was the first person to edit it. So it looked clean and I was really impressed by it. So um, that was something that I was thinking about too. So uh, one shout out for reading the article content on Baltimore Beatdown and then citing it in a question for the podcast. That's that's big ups from, who was that? Who was that? It's uh, Orioles Haiku. He's a pretty nice young mofo. I would agree with that. You know, a pretty nice young middle of the field open. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah, that's definitely an excellent way to, to get to the actual question from my perspective. Excellent way to attack the uh, the defense and uh, utilize their scheme against them. And uh, and I don't think that's like Greg Roman being a genius and also like... It was like Justin being, Simmons was coming down was a lot smart. on Andrews yeah. and covering him one-on-one. So I think that might have been a good way of taking advantage of that. Um, so I'm not... They've been utilizing Mark Andrews and Sammy Watkins on underneath routes on that same drive too because Watkins was catching some short crossers underneath and then to go over the top after some play action, I think on the same drive as well. But the Ravens were utilizing a lot of play action. They were trying to get safeties to bite. So I think that was like a set thing that they were going into that, that game on that like, Hey, if we utilize a lot of this and then we keep coming at them with this other look, then they're going to finally bite. We're going to suck in the defense and and we're just going to go over the top. And and that's what 11 man execution looks like when a, a receiver gets the route, the quarterback gets the time, the protection, everybody else is running their assignment. And, uh, you know, a deep ball ends in a Superman catching touchdown. Absolutely. Uh, Radon's ego. Is it feasible to think that the Ravens could have a top 10 passing offense and rushing attack this year and rushing attack this year with the way Lamar is throwing and reading defenses? Can't just take away the run anymore to beat the Ravens. Uh, yeah, I think that's feasible. I think uh, passing, they certainly seem to be off to that, uh, seem to be off to a, a pretty good start in that respect. I don't know as much about rushing. Like it, it just feels like we've talked about the offensive line. They just, they really lack pop in the run game. I don't know what the solution is going to be. I assume Ronnie Stanley and Nick Boyle will help out with that big time, but uh, this is much more of a passing offense right now. Yeah, this is what you hoped you didn't need to have as your one dimension, but you're okay with it being the one dimension. Like we, the fans and everybody has wanted this team to further develop the passing attack to where you have both options at your disposal. You have this strong, powerful run game that's accompanied by a solid passing offense. Right now, though, the run game is, is you know, you're needing four yards from Lamar Jackson on a victory formation snap uh, to get 100 yards on the ground. And instead, you got Lamar Jackson airing it out for 300 yards and uh, throwing a touchdown or two. Uh, and instead, uh, this is a good place for the Ravens' passing offense to be. It's not so much for the rushing offense. And that's just, like you said, accumulated injuries from Stanley, Nick Boyle, Alondra Villanueva, and just guys going down with your running backs, specifically Justice Hill, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards. Uh, they're just succumbing to injury and, and you're, they're trying to make the most of it. And I'm not quite sure exactly what the, uh, the cure all will be, but if anybody can figure it out, it's most certainly Greg Roman with Lamar Jackson as his quarterback and, and a good team. Absolutely. Uh, last one from Cody McGowan, the DL were excellent today. Who was y'all standout? Uh, I'd have to go with, uh, Mr. Matabike breaking the duck and, uh, getting that sack, uh, a big play by him and uh, shout out to him. 
Yeah, I think Matabike has got to be the the correct answer here. Uh, great sack by him, and overall, you know, some strong pressure. Uh, Tyus Bowser, you know, I know that he's not the DL, but he was. Uh, he's the linebacker there. Two sacks for the known as a pass coverage linebacker and his skills in coverage, but instead he gets two sacks on the day. And he also had in the first quarter, this is a play that I'll be gushing about is uh, he stuffed the edge setting blocker on a run to the outside and just stonewalled that man. And it forced the, I think it was Gordon to cut back inside and just get ran over by Calais Campbell, Matabike and, uh, and whoever the linebacker is that's flying in at that point. So that just showed me how much, how versatile Tyus Bowser can be not only in, in this pass coverage role that everybody wants to box him in at, but he has all of the traits to be, you know, dynamic and and we've seen it and we've talked about it a lot and it finally coming to fruition is really gratifying. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank everybody for writing in. We got a lot of questions on Twitter, which is uh nice, uh, to get people interacting with, uh, the account and, uh, yeah, really appreciate everyone writing in and providing some great, great questions. Uh, thank you for hopping on and answering them with me, bud. Not a problem. Uh, so any closing thoughts before we get out of here, coming up on the uh, hour mark here as Sunday night football is off to a hot start? Uh, I haven't tuned in yet. Uh, let me check that score real quick. You have it right in front of you. Yep. it's uh, New England just went up a touchdown. Oh, wow. So 7-3. Seven, um, seven I don't think that game should be close at all. I don't care about like how this is Bill Belichick against Brady. Like this game shouldn't be close. Tampa Bay should win by like 30 For just sure. because of the, the, the team structure from both of them. Like new England's in a rebuild that they're kind of not rebuilding just because they signed a bunch of guys in the off season to try and make themselves competitive and supply their rookie quarterback with weapons, which makes sense. But this game shouldn't be competitive at all. I think it's crazy that, the Bucks are even down and it's midway through the second. I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. But uh, closing thoughts are, as always, uh, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, please consider subscribing. Uh, giving a review with a rating is really awesome. Uh, five stars helps uh, the algorithm for Jake and Spencer to uh, be seen by more Baltimore Ravens fans. Honestly, share this podcast with some of your friends. I know that's a little weird to... Uh, you know, do the copy link and send it over. But uh, it's the best way for people to uh, listen in and also send their questions in. You know, follow the boys on their Twitter accounts. Uh, Jake will be shouting those out. But uh, if you want to listen to my stuff as well, I'll give myself a little plug here. Uh, my Twitter account is at Kyle P. Barber. And then uh, I also, along with the massive amount of articles that I do. It's not a massive amount. I just wanted to say that for dramatic effect. Uh, tune in to BaltimoreBeatdown.com. That's where I write my content. And then once a week on BaltimoreRavens.com, I do write late for work. So BaltimoreRavens.com slash late hyphen for hyphen work. Uh, I do the post game one. So I'll have mine coming out on Mondays almost every single week. And then when the Ravens play on Monday night against the Colts, mine will be coming out on Tuesday. But thank you guys very much for tuning in. And Jake, you can finish off with all of your plugs, bud. Absolutely. Those uh, Twitter accounts you mentioned were at Podcast Beatdown, which is where you can follow the uh, show on Twitter. You can find me at Jake Luke. That is L O U Q U E. Uh, follow Spencer, our other co host who is not able to make it tonight, at Ravens for Dummies. Follow the flagship site account at Be More Beatdown. You can find us on Instagram at Baltimore underscore Beatdown underscore podcast. 
Also, subscribe to us on YouTube if you want to uh, get full video episodes and uh, some other uh, you know, content that we do here and there on there that's getting really close to 1,000 subscribers. So uh, jump in there and do that if you're so inclined. Uh, appreciate you joining me, buddy, here. Uh, another huge win for the Ravens at 3-1. and one. Life is good right now as a Ravens fan, and uh, it feels great. So we'll talk to you guys later in the week. Uh, might actually have a little bit of a midweek pod planned uh, with a special guest, so we're going to confirm that. And uh, hopefully what would be a, a really fun episode. So uh, whether it's that or whether it's later in the week, we will talk to you guys. Have yourself a, uh, a great, just cracking Monday here. And let's, uh, let's enjoy this win and uh, keep moving forward. We do have an opportunity that we might be landing a second special guest. I am working to confirm that as well. So we might have a whole host of episodes for you this week. Content week. Love that. All right, well, appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate everyone listening. We will talk to you guys later. Arrivederci. You! Gorlami. Gorlami. Arrivederci. 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 Arrivederci.